Hello, and welcome to episode 4 of 5 of Outside the Game. As you guys know, this will be a five-part podcast series. Episode 1 looked at mental health in sports. Episode 2 looked at activism in sports. In episode 3, we looked at pressure in sports. And here in episode 4, I wanted to discuss whether we can separate the athlete from the person. What happens when the athletes we love do bad things? When it turns out that they're not the best people off the court. I want to tie this in to what's going on in the Me Too movement now in the entertainment industry because I grapple with a lot of the same questions when it comes to movie stars, stand-up comedians, and the like. If you want to listen to previous episodes of Outside the Game, you can visit jamiemccallum.wordpress.com slash outside the game. So now, let's get into episode four. Here we go. I used to love Louis C.K. Now, I'm not so sure. Louis is just one of the many celebrities embroiled in scandal thanks to the Me Too movement, an international campaign that's exposing celebrities for sexually inappropriate behavior. Since it began in October 2017, other celebrities that have been accused of this behavior include Kevin Spacey, James Franco, and Dustin Hoffman among many, many others. It's a good thing that these celebrities are being called out for this behavior. Nobody should ever engage in sexual harassment of any kind, nor should they wield their power and influence in a bid for sexual favors. But all of this begs the question, if somebody behaves poorly, can we still enjoy their work? And can we ever forgive them? Can we ever give them a second chance? Let's listen to a clip that contains a few more details about the allegations against Louis C.K., which, by the way, he has admitted to. And comedian and actor Louis C.K. has just responded to accusations of sexual misconduct. Here is his statement. I want to address the stories told to the New York Times by five women named Abby, Rebecca, Dana, Julia, and one who felt unable to name herself. These stories are true. At the time, I said to myself that what I did was okay because I never showed a woman my blank without asking first, which is also true. But what I learned later in life, too late, is that when you have power over another person, asking them to look at your blank isn't a question. It's a predicament for them. The power I had over these women is that they admired me, and I wielded that power irresponsibly. Like I said at the start, I love Louis C.K.'s work. I've seen him live twice. I've watched every single comedy special he's put out. I binged his TV shows, Louis and Horace and Pete. With all due respect to comedy veterans, like Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Eddie Murphy, and to the up-and-comers, like Ali Wong, Hassan Minaj, and Aziz Ansari, Louis is probably my favorite. And to be honest, it may not even be close. So when the Louis news first broke, 
My initial reaction was shock. Then it was disgust at what he had done. Then it was empathy for the women he did it to. But then my next reaction was decidedly more self-serving. It was a form of disappointment that I'll never be able to look at his art in the same way ever again. It'll forever be tainted. And if he ever does put out new material, he's currently trying to mount a comeback. Will I be able to watch it and maybe even enjoy it with a clear conscience? The same goes for the other celebs whose disturbing stories have bubbled to the surface thanks to Me Too. Will I ever be able to rewatch American Beauty without thinking of the allegations lobbed at Kevin Spacey? What about Rain Man, which won Dustin Hoffman an Oscar? Can I even watch Woody Allen movies anymore, given all that he's done? Or how about a rerun of The Cosby Show? The answer to all of these questions is that it's complicated. And it turns out the same is true in sports. Exum has it blocked in the corner by who else? Derek, 2011 MVP, Rose. And everybody just streams out on the floor to, to greet him, showing the respect. And they all know what this means to him. They know what he's lost and now what he's trying to find. What a great moment for Derek Rose. Jim, I haven't checked to see what the NBA high is for point total this year, but it's awfully young in the season. That's one of the most impressive performances of the year in the entire league. Earlier this month, Derrick Rose of the Minnesota Timberwolves stunned the NBA by scoring 50 points in a win over the Utah Jazz. For those of you who don't know, back in 2011, Rose became the youngest player ever to win the league MVP at the age of 22 while on the Chicago Bulls. But since his MVP season, Rose's play has declined significantly, mostly due to a depressing string of injuries. Basketball-wise, he became a shell of his former self, missing large chunks of many of the seasons that followed his MVP campaign. That's why his 50-point game was such a huge deal. It was a testament to the power of hard work. It was a comeback story, something that sports, maybe more than any other field, can't get enough of. Social media exploded with congratulatory messages, many from high-profile NBA players. Derrick Rose shed tears during his post-game interview, overcome with emotion. The Derrick Rose 50-point game dominated the NBA news cycle for a solid 24 hours. So that's the on-court stuff. Off the court, it's definitely worth remembering that in 2016, Rose and two of his friends stood trial for an alleged gang rape that occurred back in 2013. Rose was eventually cleared of the lawsuit, but a lot of his testimony remains troubling including him admitting to not knowing the meaning of consent. Afterwards, Rose posed with the jurors for a picture. Something about that doesn't seem right. The defense painted Rose's accuser as somebody who was quote-unquote asking for it, a classic case of blaming the victim. 
I obviously don't know what happened that night with Rose, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. All that I know for sure is how I felt watching him get mobbed by his teammates after scoring 50 points. And the best way I can describe it is mixed feelings. On one hand, it was a great comeback story for an athlete who'd once considered walking away from the game due to his tough string of injuries. On the other hand, I couldn't not think about the disturbing allegations made against him in 2016. I know that some of you would say that that stuff doesn't matter. And all I can say in response is that in that moment, it did matter to me. My happiness for him also came with a healthy dose of indifference. Here's Rachel Nichols, one of the best NBA reporters out there, summing up her thoughts on Rose. There was the massive redemption narrative that everybody hurried into about how much Derek had overcome and persevered through, which is both absolutely true and completely false, depending on what you're talking about. Absolutely, Derek Rose has overcome a horrific and in many cases heartbreaking series of injuries that robbed the league's youngest ever MVP of one of the great what might have been careers. Twice he's had to take time away from the game on teams he's been on, unsure of if he even wanted to continue playing. And twice he came back. And if you have been around to witness the incredible physical and mental toll all of that has taken, the fact that he's still standing, much less doing what he did on that court last night, that is incredible. However, there is also the absolute fact that two years ago, Rose was accused of participating in a gang rape. A civil trial found him not liable, but a lot of Rose's own testimony was troubling. And regardless of how you personally judge what happened there, watching people last night bring that trial up and then try to gloss over it as something Rose went through as adversity for him, that was cringe-inducing, to say the least. Personally, I think it is okay to get excited about what Derrick Rose did on that basketball court last night. And I also think it's okay to talk in real terms about what he's done off of it, both the good and the bad. Derrick Rose, he was the story last night, and it is all part of his story. And by the way, his story, it's not over. He's not the same kid who won the MVP in 2011. He's also not the same man who sat in that courtroom in 2016. We all get to continue on and try to evolve and move forward. And that is an okay thing, too. The great Kobe Bryant is another example of a prominent athlete experiencing legal troubles. In 2003, Kobe was accused of sexual assault by a 19-year-old hotel employee. She alleged that Kobe raped her. And while Kobe didn't deny sleeping with her, he maintained that it was consensual. At the time, the five-time NBA champion was dropped by some of his sponsors, including McDonald's and Nutella. But I think it's safe to say that he eventually repaired his image. Part of this is simply the passage of time. Another part of it is Kobe fans wanting to continue to be Kobe fans. And I think yet another part of it was the statement that he issued after the lawsuit was settled. A large part of me too is realizing that what might feel like consent to you may not feel like consent to somebody else. Realizing this and having this empathy is so, so important. This is something 
that it seems like Derek Rose maybe never fully grasped. But in Kobe's statement, he seemed to get it at least a little bit. Here's a snippet, and I quote, First, I want to apologize directly to the young woman involved in this incident. I want to apologize to her for my behavior that night and for the consequences she has suffered in the past year. Although this year hasn't been incredibly difficult for me personally, I can only imagine the pain she has had to endure. I also want to apologize to her parents and family members and to my family and friends and supporters and to the citizens of Eagle, Colorado. In the statement, Kobe goes on to say, I also want to make it clear that I do not question the motives of this young woman. No money has been paid to this woman. She has agreed that this statement will not be used against me in the civil case. Although I truly believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that she did not and does not view this incident the same way I do. After months of reviewing discovery, listening to her attorney, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. So let's move on to Mr. Tiger Woods. I grew up on Tiger. Ever since he won the 97 Masters by a whopping 12 shots, I was hooked. He didn't look like other golfers. He wasn't built like other golfers. He didn't celebrate like other golfers. Everything about him was a breath of fresh air in the oftentimes stuffy game of golf. When he teed it up, you expected him to win. He expected himself to win. Even his fellow competitors, though they might not admit it, expected him to win. I had never seen an athlete dominate his or her sport the same way Tiger did. Wearing his Sunday red, he had an aura about him that not even Michael Jordan could ever reach, or Serena Williams, or Roger Federer, or LeBron James, or Usain Bolt. Tiger was in a league of his own. By 2008, he had amassed 14 major championship wins, famously second to only Jack Nicklaus, who won 18. Tiger has more major wins than Phil Mickelson, Ernie Els, and Rory McIlroy combined. But then, in 2009, it all came crashing down. A string of women began coming out of the woodwork, claiming to have engaged in sexual relations with Tiger. The squeaky clean image of Tiger, his lovely wife, Elin, their two children, Charlie and Sam, was suddenly no more. TMZ ran story after story as more women came forward. The tabloids had a field day. Tiger's fans didn't know what to believe. They couldn't believe this was happening to their guy. His sponsors dropped like flies. Gatorade, AT&T, General Motors, Gillette. The list goes on. It was the single biggest fall from grace I had ever witnessed. And after weeks of silence, Tiger finally spoke. Many of you in this room are my friends. Many in this room know me. Many of you have cheered for me, or you worked with me, or you supported me. Now, 
every one of you has good reason to be critical of me. I want to say to each of you, simply and directly, I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. This episode is about whether we can still root for people who've done bad things. With Tiger, I had spent a large chunk of my life rooting for him. Watching him on Sunday at the majors was must-see TV, year after year after year. He was my favorite athlete. He was many people's favorite athlete. He brought the sport of golf to unprecedented levels. And while I would never condone his behavior off the course, I continue to root for Tiger. I want him to win more majors. I want him to catch Jack. And judging by the crowds, when he won his 80th PGA Tour event this past September, his first win in five years, I'm not the only one. So I don't think that this question has one simple answer. I think it depends on the mindset of the fan and the nature of the allegations against the movie star or athlete or politician or whatever, and how regretful and remorseful they appear to be. Admitting in an open, honest way that you've hurt others and are sorry for your actions can go a long way. The other thing that helps is time. The passage of time never hurts. It brings up a larger question about making mistakes. Shouldn't people be allowed to make mistakes? Haven't you made mistakes in your lives? I know I have in mine. Isn't it a good thing to be forgiving? To give people another chance? There are some things you can't come back from. But there are many instances when maybe we should be giving our public figures a second chance, especially if they sincerely seem sorry for what they've done. So that'll do it for episode four of Outside the Game. Take care.